Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Our text this morning is going to be from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to follow along, I believe that's going to be on the screen for us. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are, for, are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. And we'd say amen to that. Amen. amen. Well, we're looking at being justified by faith today. When we talk about uh, Paul writing the book of Romans, and of course the pastor is going to be preaching on Paul's missionary journey, so we'll learn more about him. But some of you may not know just who Paul was, or maybe you're thinking, well, why don't you preach Jesus instead of talking about Paul so much? But Paul was an apostle. Paul was a Jew, and he was not a believer right off when Christ walked upon this earth, but he was persecuting Christians. He was a Pharisee, so he was a legalist, going by the rules of the Old Testament and the rules of the Pharisees had developed. And he would go about persecuting Christians. And you might remember from the book of Acts that he was standing by the coats of those who were throwing rocks at Stephen as he was preaching the gospel to them. That's who Paul is. Paul was then on his way to Damascus to to arrest the Christians in Damascus so that there wouldn't be any followers of Christ trying to do away with them because the Jews believed that those who were preaching Jesus Christ were preaching another God and they believed in only one God. There's only one God. They didn't know of the, the, the Trinity at, amongst their, their beliefs. They didn't know of the second person of Jesus Christ. Now they had read in the Old Testament about the Messiah that would be coming, but Jesus didn't fit that mold. So they were continually against the preaching of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. In the Old Testament, Messiah was the Hebrew word for the anointed one. The New Testament, in the Greek language, it's Christ. Christ is the Messiah. Those are equal words to us as we look at just different languages. But Paul was out persecuting Christians until on the road to Damascus, our God apprehended him in a bright light and said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said, I am Christ. I am Jesus Christ, the one you're persecuting. And from that point on, Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we would each like to have a dramatic experience in our coming to the Lord, wouldn't we? And indeed we do. It is a miraculous change that occurs as we're new creations when we give our life over to the Lord. Paul then went on to preach the gospel. He went on these missionary journeys that our pastor will bring us up to date on in the next few weeks. And that'll be an enjoyable series. But as he was doing this, most of the rebellion that he came, he was going up through uh, Asia Minor and into Greece. And 
most of the reaction that he got, the negative reaction, was from Jews who were in those areas. Even some who would say that they professed to be Christians or followers of Christ, but they were still resisting it. Of course, those hardcore Jews who wouldn't believe that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, they were against his preaching totally. And they stoned him, they threw him out of town, they beat him. And then as he wrote letters back to these churches that he had gone to, he wrote about 13, maybe 14 letters, if you include Hebrews in that list, and I usually do include that. 14 letters to the churches that he had visited and some he hadn't been to yet. And those letters were used by the churches of that time in the first century used by the churches and believed that they were inspired of God and they were God's word to them. And those got included in our New Testament. And we believe they were inspired of the Lord as well, that no scripture came to us unless it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Paul wrote these letters, and as he's writing to the church, the group of of Christians at Rome, who also included many Jews who were there and may may not have been Christians, but we find that the Jews were insisting upon the new believers, the Gentiles, first becoming Jews before they could become Christians, before they could truly come into the faith. Now, they didn't mean that they would become a Jew from birth, but they would become a Jew by participating in circumcision, that covenant that was given to Abraham, by following the feast laws, the the laws of the Old Testament that applied to the Jewish people. And so they would have to become Jews first before they could become Christians. They were putting this baggage upon them, upon the Gentiles. And one person that they celebrated so much in Jewish life was Abraham. Abraham, who was called by God to be, to be, to, and give it a promise that many people would come from him, and he, and through him, the whole world will be blessed. Now you can read about that back in Genesis twelve if you'd like. And so Abraham, it was the father of the Jews. And you remember in the New Testament, as Jesus is encountering the Pharisees and confronting them on some of the things they were saying, he said they would say, "No, our father is Abraham." Or our father is Moses. So they would go back to these old these pillars of the Old Testament of the Jewish faith and rely upon Abraham. So Paul, in writing the, to the Romans, he gives them a very clear understanding of why a person needs salvation, what salvation is, how one gets it, and that it is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that word faith for just a moment before we move on here. But faith... The English word faith is the same as the Hebrew word, the Greek word for believe. It's taken from that same word. In the New Testament, your Greek New Testament, you'll find that the word translated faith is a derivative of the word for believe in the Greek. Now, that's a lot of complication for you, but just so that you understand, faith equals believe. And they'll be used interchangeably in the New Testament. But our word for believe... It's kind of weak today. Today we think of believe as just, well, knowing a few facts and say, yeah, those are true, and going on. But the word for believe in the New Testament 
that we translate for faith is to commit to a set of, of things that you believe are true. Commit to those. Entrust your life to it. So when we're talking about believing in Christ, you notice in the title we say, believe on Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift to those who believe on Jesus Christ. I like to use that word on rather than just in because it implies a commitment to Christ. It implies that we believe who he was, that he was God in the flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died upon the cross, and he paid the price for our sins there on the cross. He paid the price for our sins, and nothing else is needed beyond that. He rose again on the third day, and he's reigning in heaven today, and he says, whoever will come to me, whoever will believe in me and trust in me, that he will have eternal life. Well, if we don't have eternal life, then what's the alternative? The alternative is to spend eternity in hell. And Romans 3, 20 says that no one is justified by, the, by works. You can't earn your salvation. So many times if you ask somebody, what, what, what do you think you'll say to God when you go to the pearly gates? And how, why should he let you into heaven? And they'll say, well, I think I've done more good than I have bad. You've heard that before, haven't you? That is a common answer. But that it doesn't cut it. That never works. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work our way into heaven. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God, being just and holy, cannot allow sinners into heaven. Yeah, that sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? But God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly righteous. So we need a righteousness that we don't have and we can't earn. And God in his eternal plan from the before creation, he planned that he would provide a way for us sinners to have the righteousness that allows us to get into his kingdom that allows us to have a relationship with him and not be enemies of his anymore but to have a relationship with Christ with God and that is through Jesus Christ who died upon the cross who paid the price for your sins he bore the debt of death that you would bear spiritually for eternity if you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ so Paul is writing about that laying it out for them and he comes to Abraham, in verse 1, point number 1. We're going to have four points today. Not a three-point sermon, but four points, and I don't have any poems to add into it. So <laughs> going to fall short of the, the, the uh, format. But it says, verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. But Abraham could not boast about his righteousness. If you remember anything about Abraham, you know that he was far from that pillar of, of uh, righteous living. First of all, he gave his wife away twice to save his own hide to the kings of the area, one to, to Pharaoh and one to another king, just to save himself. And God had already given the promise God had given him that promise that through him would come many 
followers, many uh, uh, descendants, and through him, the nations would be blessed. And I believe that that promise is about Jesus Christ, because Christ is the one who blesses all nations when we put our trust in him. Well, Abraham uh, had not only done that, uh, he had uh, done other things as we read through the scriptures that that he shouldn't have done. He uh, tried to advance God's plan on his own when it seemed like God was delaying the fulfillment of giving him a son that he had promised. He decided he'd take Sarah's servant and have a child by her. He fathered an Ishmael, if you remember. And boy, the world has suffered from that ever since then, haven't they? We don't want to rush God's plan. We want to have faith in God's plan. Trust in Christ. Trust in what he says. Trust in his promises. Abraham failed in that regard. Abraham could not earn his own righteousness. In our second point, verse 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, there's that word believe again. Abraham believed, but he didn't just believe a set of facts. He believed with a commitment. He committed himself to God and said, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you in all that you're saying. I'm going to believe in what you did. He recognized he couldn't earn his own righteousness. That he was going to fall far short, and we recognize that too. Nothing we can do is going to earn us a place in heaven or is going to earn our relationship with Christ. It's only through Christ and His righteousness that we will we'd have that. In Hebrews 11.10, it says that Abraham was searching for a city. Searching for a city. He was looking for that, that city, that heavenly city, but he didn't receive it here upon earth, it says in uh, Hebrews 11. He was looking for it in the future, and he went to it when he, when he died. He went to be with God. It, it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed, because he had faith in Jesus Christ. We don't find any other way in Scripture that we are to come back into a reconciliation with Christ except through faith in him, believing in Jesus Christ and believing with all of our heart. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Nobody is going to be justified by works. We all need righteousness. We have none of our own. And Isaiah says our righteousness, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not good. But Christ's righteousness is perfectly holy, perfectly right, and pleasing to God. He is the one who has offered that sacrifice being, that is pleasing to our, our Lord and Savior. In Romans 4.11, Paul makes a point about Abraham, you know, the Jews really focused upon this issue of circumcision, that covenant that was made with Abraham, that every Jewish boy at the age of eight days would be circumcised and become a part of the Jewish community. So they really focused upon that. And so they think, well, Abraham earned his righteousness by being the covenant of circumcision and circumcising all of his, his people at that time. But in, in chapter 4, verse 11 of Romans, it says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. And when did he receive this? Before he was circumcised. So the faith is without the law. 
Circumcision recognizing the law, being a part of the law, but his faith was before he started obeying any covenant, before he started obeying any laws. His faith is what gave him the righteousness of God. That was it was imputed to him. It was counted to him. It was written down in his account. You know, we have that same righteousness, the righteousness of Christ written down in our account when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. When we decide that he is sufficient for our salvation. We need nothing else. It's not Christ plus a bunch of stuff. It's not Christ plus do all these things. It is faith in Jesus Christ, which will result in our good works, which will result in our good deeds as we follow him. So Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And it was before any implementation of any law, any obedience there. Our third point, verse 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And the first verse they're talking about earning your salvation. If we could work for it, then we could go to God and say, see all these good things I did? I deserve for you to give me heaven. I deserve for a relationship with you. And they say, that can't be done. We're never going to be able to do that because we've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We cannot earn it. You get your wages, you work a job, you work those hours each week and get your job and you get paid for it because you've earned it. You, you've deserved it. But the one who doesn't work for his salvation but trust in Christ and Christ alone, not adding anything to it, Christ gives the gift of salvation. That is the free gift that Christ gives to us, his salvation. We need a savior. We need to be saved from the penalty of hell, the penalty of death. We need to be saved from a life of sinfulness as we turn to Christ, become that new creation and begin serving him. And bringing glory and honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, 3. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. He promises us a new life that's different from the old, a life that follows him out of our love for Christ rather than out of a sense of obedience of trying to earn our salvation because we, we cannot do that. In verse 6, we come to our fourth point here. Verse 6, we see all those blessings that come upon a believer says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And here's a quote from, from the psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. When we put our trust in Christ, we receive the forgiveness for our sins. The forgiveness that only he can give. 
He's the only one. Only God can forgive those sins. He gives us forgiveness of all those many sins that we committed. He is the one who's done that. And all of our sins are covered. What are they covered by? By the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's where this great transaction happens. Right there on the cross. And he, we go before the Heavenly Father now in judgment. You leave this earth and you go before God and, and stand before Him. And He starts to go through a list of sins. Let's say He would go through that list of sins that you've committed. And what can be said? All that can be said is, I'm guilty. But He says, Christ stands beside us and He's our advocate. And He says, but He put His trust in me. And God says, you're pardoned. Your sins are forgiven. They're all forgiven. Now, that may be, not be an exact illustration of how things happened at the great judgment seat, but that's the effect of it. We are pardoned. All of our sins are wiped away when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, what a great place for us to be. That is a blessing. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Amen. So salvation is needed by each and every one of us. We need a Savior. Christ is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and He offers salvation to anyone who will put their trust in Him. He says, whosoever believes in me will have eternal life. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. It's all from Him. So if you've never put your trust in Christ today, then this is the time to make that decision to trust Him. Quit delaying about that, but give your life over to Him. Surrender to Him and live your life for Him. If you've already put your trust in Christ and a lot of this sounds like old stuff to you, then rejoice in what Christ has done for you. Every day we ought to rejoice that our sins are forgiven and that we have eternal life from Jesus Christ.